All right, welcome back to There Will Be Bourbon. I am joined tonight by retired Green Beret, Clay Martin. He is the author of two books now, at least, well, maybe more, but at least I, The Concrete Jungle, A Green Beret's Guide to Urban Survival, and then he just released Prairie Fire, which is about what? That is basically a Red County map to surviving a civil war that the Blue County start. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you know, we, a softer approach this time. Yeah, we just yeah. kind of you know, subtle it in there. Okay, well, that's, yeah, I mean, we would, we would hate for it to take that toll or that path, but, you know, I mean, so that's a good thing that you bring up. So why is it that you decided to kind of venture into this? Like, were you always a writer? Did you always want to write? Or is this just something that's just kind of, you know, the current climate's kind of been the muse? Yeah, actually, ironically, no. Like, I, I never wanted to write, but... <laughs> You know, after I retired from the army, it was kind of something I fell into because, uh, you know, you got these skills of like, uh, I was a professional shooter at the time mm-hmm. too, shot competitively. And I was like, basically, I know how to, you know, chop people's heads off and shoot guns. And that's, that's it. That's what I got. So, you know, I did the Sounds usual- a lot like our enemy for the last 20 years. <laughs> right. Exactly right. <laughs> so I, yeah, I did some of the usual stuff. I did some contracting and stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I taught people how to shoot. And, but that just really was like a lot of travel. It was not conducive to the fact that I had two little kids. Like, right. Like, yeah. like they were you know, fresh born. So I had to do something else. So I started doing this gun review stuff. Yeah. And uh, it turned out that I just had like a knack for the writing piece of it. Like, I mean, I, I would say that my stuff's better than me. I was like, I can do it. I can, I can knock yeah. it out. I can do it really fast. And uh, so I'm, I'm cruising along with this, like writing about guns every month thing. And I was like, I wonder how hard it is to write a book. And uh, so I actually went and looked it up a, a, a word count of like how many words go in a book. And it's like between normal books, like 60 to 80,000. I was like, I do that every two months. Like, yeah, sometimes I do that every month. I was like, I could do this. So I wrote my first fiction book back in uh, 2016, 2017. Okay. And uh, plug, and, go ahead, plug it. You know. Yeah, that was uh, it was last time of the war God. OK, so that was my first fictional book. And uh, it's one of those things like you don't know anything about like the process and stuff. If you've never done it. Uh, right. So I read like Stephen King's book about how to write a book, which is, you know, ironic. The dude writes like a gazillion books. He wrote, he yeah. used to be an English teacher. Actually, he wrote one like, hey, don't be an idiot. Here's all the like little it's like, you know, it's like a book like this thick. It's like, if you want to write a book, do it this way. And basically his thing is uh, don't use too many words and don't be that, lazy. Yeah. That guy said, don't use that guy, yes. every book's like a thousand pages. <laughs> but every one of his pages means something. There's no like, you know, 30 pages of filler. Like, yeah, I got the, you. The sky was bluish <laughs> blue with, you know, a rainbow. You're like, nah, nobody gives a shit. <clears throat> so, but his, his biggest thing to take away from that is if you want to write a book, you, you sit your ass down in a chair and you write the book. Like, you don't draw outlines and think mm-hmm. about it. And, you know, it takes 20 years to write the great American novel. It's like, get off your ass and do it. So, uh, so that's what I did. I, I wrote every night from like 10 o'clock at night after the kids went to bed to like four in the morning, you know, some, some old army stuff, like let's uh, just uh, soldier through this. Yeah. And uh, it took like a month, which, uh, so I'm like, okay, book's done. And I guess that's actually abnormal. Uh, Cause I tell people that and they're like, what? Like, like there's no way, but yeah, it takes about a month and you write the damn thing and send it out to an editor and they take all your scribbles and throw away the words they don't need. And then you go, you got a book. Well, there you go. Uh, All right. So I am off to a horrible start and using my own 
outlines that I do with this show, right? So the first thing's first, Clay, I got to talk about what I am drinking that is going to fuel this interview. And tonight, um, we got a little Rock Hill Farms from, as you know, that, well, you may not know, but whoever's listening may know by now, the greatest distillery ever, which is Buffalo Trace. Um, unfortunately, this is, a, this is a product of the, the market, which is what I wanted to ask you about as it relates to the gun market, because you know a hell of a lot more about guns than I do. And uh, this is what I know. So Rock Hill Farms is probably a 50 to $55 bottle. It's what it should be, okay? You should always trust the MSRP from the distillery because uh, that is definitely not what you will see this for. This is going for anywhere from $250 to $400 in the secondary market because liquor stores know that you will pay for it. So stop doing that, right? But anyway, so uh, Rock Hill Farms, great bottle. It's a part of the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection. Uh, only comes out. Very limited, very limited release, but because of what it is, is it's, it's been jacked up to these exorbitant fees and whatever, you know, but people do it because they know they'll buy it. So my question to you, Clay, is does this go on with gun manufacturers? Oh, first stores? of all, I'm a, Buffalo, I'm a Buffalo Trace fan, so that hurts That's, my heart a little bit that you have it. Yeah. I don't. I don't <laughs> hey, if you want to come on by, the bar's open, man. We got I, overflow. We got the bland, whatever you need from Buffalo Trace. I got you. Well, uh, I am actually on a fake beer because uh, I got the blood clot last year. I've done sober. I've had to do 2020 sober. Like I've been able to okay. drink this year, which is, hey, you're hurting I'm me impressed. Right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's ugly. Anyway, about the gun market, kind of. You will, uh, I mean, this year, like the gun market is like nothing else. It's like dealing drugs, yeah. basically. Like exactly. you have it, you can sell it. It's like a dry spell forever. You can sell it for whatever. Right. Occasionally, yeah, you do see uh, like limited runs that will really elevate the price of things. And you see that mostly from the foreign market. Like uh, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of uh, Tika rifles. They're made in Finland. Okay. And they're not terribly expensive rifles. They're like, you know, six, 800 bucks for, you know, a, a center fire hunting rifle, which is, you know, actually pretty cheap. But they have a lot of problems importing them because there's so many ATF restrictions on weapons that are made outside of this country that, yeah, you'll, you'll sometimes see them going for double the price because there's, there's none. There's not any to be had. Well, that's not really the issue, though. That's more of a regulation thing, right? It is. definitely is. Yeah. yeah I'm talking about like, like this. I know for a fact. So you got to know people, unfortunately, or, or have mm-hmm. good relationships with liquor store owners to get some of these types of products, right? So right. fortunately, I've, you know, since I got into this kind of like you are into guns a few years back, man, like I wanted to really figure out where I could actually get this stuff. Cause I was tired of going into stores and seeing a, a, a bottle of fucking Pappy Van Winkle, for example. Right. You know, the most right. over, I wouldn't say it's overrated. It's very good, but it is the most overhyped product you can get. You know, those range on the website from Buffalo trace from, from 79 up to like two twenty nine for the 23 year old. Fine. I got that. I get it. I understand. I know exactly how it's made. I know how all that works, but for that to go for two to $5,000 on that market is absolutely stupid, but they only do it because people will buy it. Yeah. And, oh, they, wow. and so that's, so like this, I can oh. go across the street right now. There's a store yeah. right across the street from me. I had it. It's in there for 250 bucks. I will not pay $250 for that. No, <laughs> I totally. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's what I'm saying. Like, are there gun stores that are just, you know, price gouging and taking advantage of this that you know of, or yeah. is it just because it is what we it is? We have seen moment? that. We didn't so much see it this time. We, we learned it back in Sandy Hook back in 2013 when the last price oh, okay. happened. And uh, mm-hmm. one that I don't mind dragging their name through the mud right now, uh, cheaper than dirt.com. Yeah. No ammo from there. For six years ago. Notorious shit bags about that. They mm-hmm. like the next day they went up to like $70 a piece on an AR 15 magazine. 
mean, they were gouging the shit out of people. Like, so not shameless. cheaper than dirt. No, no, they, they're the opposite of cheaper than dirt. Yeah. That's so, but they're really the only one. And uh, this this market is actually exceptionally weird. Uh, what, well, another thing that most people don't understand, the margin on guns is almost nothing. I mean, for what, like, you know, the dealer down the street that gets the gun in, when he, when he, yeah. you go in and you buy that gun, he might make 50 bucks on like a $900,000 gun. I mean, it's nothing. Uh, because it's also a very competitive market. You know, right. the, the manufacturers pretty much sell at this price to all the distributors and it is what it is. Mm. So you don't see that much. Um, you, you will occasionally see somebody gouging on prices a little bit. Usually if something's going to be absurdly priced, it's either there's not many of them or it's very old and they just don't make them or there weren't that many to start with. But what I guess you say, so I guess where people could gouge more would probably be ammunition at this point, right? They could right now, yes, and I, that's that's really hard to say. COVID has really screwed some things up as far as like yeah. supply line goes uh, for like lead, copper, all your like raw materials and stuff. So it actually has driven the price up. Uh, also talking to some people that are like in the middle of that chain, like distributors or friends of mine. Uh, you know, they said that like you know raw cost coming out of the factory has actually gone up this time too. So what what you're seeing right now is not as much gouging as it is like, that's just the price things are now. And it may be that way for a very long time. Yeah, I can. I, so that was, was weird. So, you know, back in, I think it was beginning of September. Yeah. I went up to cross the border into to Reno for a bachelor party with a buddy. And we went up into the mountains later on and to shoot some guns that you can't shoot here. Right. So, but we stopped at one of these, uh, God, I already forgot the fucking name of it. Sheets. I don't know. Some big, Shields. Yeah, shields. Okay. Yeah. We went in there to get ammo. Uh, there was nothing. There yeah. was one, one like case of, I think a thousand rounds of 7.62 on the entire shelves. Like literally everything was gone. No 40, no nine, no, no shotgun, nothing. Like there's nothing there in a store that massive. I was just <clears> like, this is Nevada, which I know yeah. everyone in California is just going across the border to get it. Cause they can't, but still that's like what kind of woke me up. Cause I was just, I already told you my backstory with the, with my personal stuff at the moment, but right, right, right. Yeah. So I was just like, that's what the first time I think into 2020 where it really hit me like, man. And then at the time I was reading your book. So I was really starting to kind of need some, I guess stuff. I got to go train some Krav Maga or something, but <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So do you, how do, do you anticipate that? You said it could be this way for several, for years, but what, yeah, I mean, uh... we're really anticipating that on the industry side. Uh, cause you also tell you like Idaho, I mean, we, we have a lot of guns and a lot of, of ammunition here. In fact, uh, two of the four primer supply places, two of the four places in the United States that make primers are in Northern Idaho, oh, really? as well as like three of the top, I'd say 10 ammunition manufacturers, but we started seeing shelves run dry back in like May. Uh, but basically the problem is you got to go all the way back past the riots and all that, that scary stuff back to the, yeah. the, the bat cough. So, you know, Oh my God, you know, zombies are going to rise. Yeah. All this other bullshit. Yeah. Well, people start freaking out and people that never would have considered buying a gun in their life started going to the store and buying guns. Yep. And like, you know, it's, it's, it's just like a wake up call. Like all these knuckleheads that were like, Oh, everything will be fine. Just, you know, they got out of bed, like, Oh, it's <laughs> So they wouldn't start buying up all the guns. Well, you also have to figure that manufacturers can't just catch up because they all did this back in 2013 during that crisis too. A lot of places hired like a third shift. They started buying like, you know, CNC machines that are a couple of million dollars. What happens after this 
after this peak is everything goes and there's no sales for like three years. So they're not going to just invest, you know, $20 million in new machinery. So you've got all these people that have never owned a gun in their life that have no idea what the hell they're doing with it. So they have to feed it as much as they possibly can and just learn some basic competency. Uh, this, the figures I've seen were something that like between 25 and 50 million first time gun owners this Damn. year. Yeah. It's staggering this year. Yeah. First time. First time people have never had a gun in their life. Went to the store and bought one. That's, that's more people that have this fucking virus for that back. Well, yeah. <laughs> right. Damn right. <laughs> Let's take it. I've seen this broken down in a video. Uh, some dude did a real good job of it, but I'll, I'll kind of, you know, paraphrase here. Let's extrapolate that to everybody wants a thousand rounds, which is not very much. And what does that work out to like, you know, a couple of billion spare rounds. Uh, you know, if they want, if they want more than that, if they want to train a little bit, I mean, you're almost into the trillions of, of extra rounds that have to be produced uh, just to keep up with like what is now current market demand. And, you know, also keep that perspective. I asked the uh, federal about this uh, after the last crisis when I was uh, friends with them. Um, so you probably can't find 22 on the shelf either, right? Nope. Neither can be else. Federal at the time, 2014 and four produces 6 million rounds of 22 long rifle a day. Just 22 long rifle. Fuck. I know. And they can't keep up. With it. <laughs> and so they can't. Think about that. And they've been producing that 6 million a day every day for the last 10 years. What about those like foreign ones? What's, what's that Russian company that makes the, was it Wolf? Oh uh, yeah, Wolf makes a lot of steel case. Uh, yeah. Believe it or not, they make actually like match grade, top notch twenty two. Have they? Are they monitoring this market, or they just don't care? They're going to produce how they produce because they're going to sell it either way. Or it's, it's, I, I was just curious how the foreign, yeah. how they're like observing what the hell the United States is doing based on what right. you just said. Twenty five to fifty million new gun owners. Right. Are they ramping up their production, or is this just they're just riding it out because like oh well, America doesn't have guns now. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it starts getting really weird when you talk about anywhere outside the United States, because a lot of places, even that aren't socialist countries, uh, their ammunition is produced by like state sponsored kind of like pseudo corporations that are yeah. kind of, kind of yeah. private and kind of not. So it makes it very hard for them to like turn up production. But uh, I mean, I would guess they're doing everything that they can. And not only, you know, the Russian ammo, but like the Italian uh, makers, there's a couple of Czech makers. Uh, I mean, we get quite a bit of ammo from Europe. Um, but yeah, I think everybody's just doing everything they can and it just is not making a dent. Yeah, I was curious if that stuff was even being allowed to come in still with, you know, um, people can't come in, but I, didn't, I don't know. I don't, I'm not smart enough to know if... Uh, Container ships full of bullets can? Yeah, can still get in, right? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Who knows? Um, but that's a good idea. There's a, the Oakland port out here. There's a lot of, a lot of containers coming in. I might you do your, your book says to just knock on a random container door with a couple of my friends. Maybe I'll go see if I can find <laughs> <Right>. them. <laughs> like we got another container full of PlayStation 5. Damn there. it. What am I going to do with these? We don't even have out. a network yet. <laughs> exactly. All right. So let me back up because I've gone off the, on a, you know, just I could talk about this stuff. And I don't know the first thing I'm talking about, but hearing people who do always interest me. So, but anyway, so you are, as we said, you're you're retired Green Beret. Um, what, what year did you join the military? Where'd you sign up first and what made you do that? Is this something you always wanted to do? Family history? What, what was it? Yeah, it was just kind of something I always wanted to do. Uh, I had some, some good friends, like their dads were uh, military guys, like when I was growing up and a lot of my uncles have served too. So I actually enlisted in the Marine Corps the first time back in uh, 98. Uh, so came in, I was a grunt for a little bit, uh, went over to uh, recon 
uh, for them was kind of like their special operations yeah. or was back before there was a MARSOC. Uh, this is a guy I feel like I'm ancient now. You know, doesn't exist. <laughs> like, not because it was the coolest. Uh, <laughs> went to scout sniper school, uh, did that stuff. Did about, uh, I guess it was five years in the Marine Corps. I actually got stop loss to go to Iraq the first time for nice. the invasion. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was pretty cool. Like, mm-hmm. come on, man. <laughs> I just want to dance. So ended that enlistment, uh, immediately cross-decked over to the Army, uh, and then uh, went to uh, West Virginia, actually the National Guard. I uh, joined okay. up with the 19th Special Forces Group. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Okay. So, all right. So you, you went in, so you, when you went to Iraq, were you already a Green Beret or no? Uh, the first time, no, I was in recon. Okay. Yeah. So I think, I don't think a lot of people know that because here's my thing, man. And I know you see this because you're active on Twitter too. It seems like either everyone on the, on the, <laughs> every anonymous account on Twitter either pretends to be a Green Beret, wants right. to be a Green Beret, or right. actually is one. So it's, it's kind of weird. Uh, I don't know why Twitter is that way, man. But uh, so what does, okay, you said you were with Marsog at the time, right? No, there was no Marsoc back Okay, then. so the, pre, the precursor to Marsoc. Yeah. So what was their role during the invasion? Because I know, you know, 1st Marine Division went in with 3rd ID and all. And right. All this stuff. But what was what were what were you guys doing during that? Uh, mostly just out in the desert calling in airstrikes on people. I heard. Okay, so that makes sense. Because <laughs> Well, I had a buddy. He was with the Florida National Guard during during that time. Because we all went in in 2003 at the same time. He was part of the Florida National Guard. And he came, I guess he said they came in through Jordan. And they okay. were attached yeah. to a special forces group up there. And he said the same thing. We just hung out in the fucking desert. And yeah, that was <laughs> came in that way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it was, yeah, it was a weird time and place. Yeah. It was, uh, <laughs> so did, did that make you want to get out and go to the army from there? Or would you just, was it just not kind of, meeting what no. kind of your expectations were of that? Yeah. Now, now kind of with that, without flashbang in my own team room of, uh, of back in the day, because yeah. I mean, we're making some good strides forward. Um, okay. But the thing that the that people don't understand, this is kind of going down a long tangent, but I'll tell you anyway. Do it. <laughs> so um, you're probably, I'm sure you're familiar with being an army guy with Desert One, the, uh, the Iranian yeah. hostage rescue back in 1980. Mm-hmm. All right, complete fucking debacle, right? Like there was all this idiotic shit that happened. They had like Marines flying Navy helicopters and, you know, army dudes being the hitters and like all this mm-hmm. other bullshit. Everyone wanted a piece of it. And all, there right. was, so basically what was learned from that was like, this can't work this way for like special operations stuff anymore. So there was this thing called the Goldwater Nichols Act in 1986. And it was these, uh, you know, congressmen, uh, senators got their shit together and like, there will be unified command. This is how it'll work. Uh, You know, this, it is what it is. So army, Navy and air force were like, okay, cool. Like we get generals and stuff. Awesome. Sweet. (laughs) Badass. It's almost like having a fifth bridge. Well, the Marine Corps and their infinite wisdom was like, hold on because we're Marines. Like we already have an air ground and sea components. They kind of do with like a Mew. It's yeah. You know, and they're like, we don't want to play because we already meet all the requirements as our own singular unitary branch. And uh, Congress turns to like the army Navy and, and a Marine or army Navy air force are like, you guys cool with that? And they're like, absolutely. <laughs> we don't want nothing to do with the Marines. We want nothing to do with it. <laughs> So, you know, when things first happen, like SOCOM's getting built and there's, you know, mm-hmm. friction and things aren't going real great. And uh, the thing people probably don't understand, too, is like all up through the uh, 70s and 80s, when it was a free for all, like Marine Corps, I mean, force recon and stuff. I mean, there's some wild shit that those guys did that you'll never hear about. Yeah. They were basically a co-equal branch with, the, with everybody else. 
So a couple years after this happens, I guess it was probably really Somali. It was probably the first time it like kicked the Marine Corps in the teeth. Uh, so next thing you know, they've got like, I don't know, a lieutenant colonel in charge of their special operations over in this branch. And SOCOM has like a four star who's got two or three stars to get him coffee and like, you know, down to like some colonels and yeah. shit. So basically, mother Corps win that argument. Yeah. 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 That's just how it works. They're like, yeah, just go sit over there. We're right. doing this and you can, uh, you can shut the fuck up. And they're like, <laughs> oh. <clears throat> on top of which, the Marine Corps hates its own special operations. Anyway, so it's not going to get any help from these guys. If the Lieutenant Colonel's going to go bitch to his two star, you're going to be like, fuck you. I have like a parade to have or something. Get away from yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, this is kind of stuff that, like I wouldn't even have known until uh, until September 11th, actually. So, okay, good. That's the transition. Know, I like it. Good, good transition. So, yeah. you know, I go in 98 do all my stuff, go to, you know, hard-ass school, amphibious reconnaissance school, get my teeth kicked in, whatever, like, got my cool badges and shit, like, now we're part of the the thing, right? So, yeah. September 11th rolls around, and, uh, you know, all this shit happens, and, like, basically, you know, there could be a klaxon alarm, like, all special operations to the airfield, and, uh, you know, we go <laughs> up, and they're like, not you fucking clowns, and we're like, right. oh, no <laughs> but basically that was it you know if you were in that force right around like 2001 2002 like it was a it was a it was a devastating awakening it was like finding out everybody else has nods and you don't like oh, yeah classic marine corps right. yeah classic <laughs> marine corps so uh so basically what happened is after that after 2003 uh you know, that was great for like the regular marine corps but it was not the finest hour for like marine corps special operations like i mean I mean, we showed up this fucking hangar in uh, in Kuwait, uh, and we got a briefing from uh, from uh, Fifth Group and uh, their Air Force attachment dudes. But uh, basically, you know, the, the chaplains walking around handing out batteries for people's Walkmans, and we're like putting them in our nods because that was the, the only new batteries that we had. Because like our ship didn't have fucking batteries. I'm, I swear to God, that happened. That was real life. <laughs> Do you might need this? And we're like, oh my god, I can use my PBS sevens. Cool. <laughs> and uh, we go to the Fifth Group's little area, and these dudes got like ATVs with fucking Barretts on them, and like all this fucking shit and like what the hell have you guys been doing like oh yeah we've been running to baghdad every night on our four-wheelers uh what are you guys been doing like well, we've been sitting on this boat like tugging each other's dicks like it's fucking terrible and i don't want to play anymore, I so, play anymore. so i mean effectively that was a huge wake-up call and uh if you look back statistically at that time something absurd like 70 percent of the probably 60 70 percent of the marine corps recon forces all left they went and became contractors or they cross back to the army or they cross back to the Navy. So, I mean, years later, I had a, an ODA actually, where I had three other recon Marines on it from my same era. And uh, wow. yeah, I went to Halo school, me and my buddy met up with our friend. Uh, there was, uh, he was actually a buds instructor. Now there was a recon Marine with us. So, yeah. You guys just all just walking around changing uniforms and shit. basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I always thought about that. Like I always had this joke, like when you're, and when it was time to reenlist, like it should be like, you know, NFL free agency, like which branch is going to give me, who wants to, who wants me? You know I mean? <laughs> It'd be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it would be. Oh, you got a $20,000 bonus. What do you got over there? Like, oh, you're going to sign me for, okay. I think, you know, it's not but I got to move to Cleveland. Like, nah, dog, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, nah, yeah. What are my PCS options? All right. No, I'll take the, I'll take the cash option. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, I've heard some stories similar to that. Um, that's why I was curious when I brought up uh, Nick. <clears throat> so 
you crossed over and then you went into the 19th group. And yep. when did you deploy again? What year? So I went to the Q course, uh, graduated, I guess it was January of 06. And my uh, battalion was already in Iraq. So we just, oh, we didn't even go, we didn't even graduate. We didn't walk across the stage. We got our hats and orders. Flew. Yeah. Here, get to the plane. tarmac. You got it. <laughs> so how was that? Like, so when you did that, were you guys, how, how was everybody like, cause you probably know this, like, oh, three, when we went into Iraq in 2003, we weren't expecting this. No, it was supposed to, you know, General Shinseki at the time, I remember like we got extended four times and finally came home after 15 months. But like everything, worst case was like, you'll be home before Christmas at 03. Right. Right. Home <laughs> before Christmas. Where have we ever heard that before? Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> Which Christmas though? Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, so yeah. So <laughs> I, I, you know, like I said, I did that, came back in 04 and I didn't deploy again until 2013. So, um, but I remember I was a drill sergeant at Fort Benning during the surge and they were pulling all the, all the uh, combat arms dudes, all the infantry, anybody combat arms was coming back and going for the surge. And you kind of predated that. So I was just curious since you guys knew like, Hey man, this is not going the way this was supposed to go. Oh, You're in the Q course, you graduate. What was yeah. everyone's mindset? Were you guys excited? Were you just looking to get over there and get a part of it? Or were you just like, yeah, hey. it was, uh, it was crazy. Man. Cause, I mean, just like you, when I, I was actually probably the first unit out of OAF one, cause we'd already been to sea for like nine months. Yeah. Uh, so we only went in for like two or three months or something. Real short amount of time for for that time and place, so we're home by summer, and uh, you know we thought the fucking war was over, man. Like it's like ah oh, fuck, you know oh, I wish I'd have shot ten more people. Like damn it, because <laughs> you know, I mean, dude, our entire you're about my age, man. Yeah. Growing up, like Grenada was like two days, and Panama was like yeah, was, I don't know. Oh, even Desert Storm was four. Four, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like, if it was over, it was over. You know, yeah. like we yeah, might not see it again for five years. So. uh so yeah, even when we, we made the move, I was like, fuck, man, I guess I'll just, you know, do an enlistment over here. And if the next one pops off, cool. If not, I'll figure out what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> but, you know, as we're going through the Q course and I mean, the war is still fucking raging. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I still got friends that are active duty Marines that are going back over for like their second and third tours yep. while yeah. I'm still in the fucking queue. In fact, uh, oh, son of a bitch. My old, uh, my old recon platoon became a force recon platoon. Uh, and they went to Fallujah while I was in like fucking Beanot. That yeah. was, uh, I was like beside myself. I had to put myself on suicide watch for a little bit. Like, <laughs> you know I mean, like I missed the show yep. because son of a Fear bitch of missing out. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, that's the kind of dudes generally that go to the Q course. Anyway, like they're ready to rock and roll. Like we were actually happy the war was still going on so we could get a combat patch. Yeah. We're like, okay, right. get over there. Fucking back back when they meant something. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we were stoked, but man, I gotta tell you that was the, probably the biggest culture shock I've ever seen though. So, you know, the invasion was like a shit show. I mean, we were eating like fucking raviolis that somebody trucked in from Kuwait one time. I mean, people were starving. Even the Marine Corps didn't make a shave because we we're out of water. Like, shit was all fucked up. <laughs> I mean, shit was fucking plat, bro. You remember that shit? Yeah. So we got off the fucking plane. To, uh, this is a, actually probably the, the best segue I could make. When we flew in, we landed at Nazaria, and they were putting bodies on the on a, a reefer plane in front of us, uh, which I never, I didn't even know there was a fucking such a thing as an Air Force reefer plane, like. Oh, holy shit, this is fucking real. Mm. When I flew into Balad the second time in 2006, broad daylight, swear to God, I walk off the fucking tail of this bird and I see an MP with a radar gun blazing cars on the road and giving out fucking speeding tickets. And there's like a Burger King over here and like a fucking, and I'm like, 
Where in the fuck are we? <laughs> well, see, it's funny you said that because you said you were you had are you went home already in 2003 before summer, right? Or in summer? Yeah, yeah, like July or so. Yeah, yeah. So you met like so. I remember we were at like an ECP pulling guard and like probably end of April, early May of 2003. And like the, the, the PX civilian in charge comes through and we're like, Hey, sir, whatever. And he starts shooting the shit with us. And he's like, well, you know, in a little bit, you'll be able to, you know, finally have some Burger King instead of the MREs. And we're just like, Oh yeah, cool. Burger King joke. All right. <laughs> civilian dude, whatever. <laughs> but sure enough, we had a fucking Burger King before we had the Bob Hope dining facility that opened up later, like a month after that, the, the one that's famous for president Bush at the time coming in and getting all of his picture with Thanksgiving dinner and everything. We literally had a fucking Burger King it, and the main, like the, the it, it, like we had a soft opening, but the grand opening was basically 4th of July week when the Dallas cheerleaders and the USO and kid rock and everybody was there. And I stood six hours for a fucking burger. I swear oh, yeah. to God, I did it six hours. I fucking get six it, man. Six hours snaking in a line. Like it wasn't even like I was six hours. Oh man, no, I could see the 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 snaking. <laughs> I, I know you've had to do this too, though. You know how fucking hard it is to tell a Vietnam vet that we fought a war with Burger King and bottled yeah. water. Like, yeah, man, fucking Burger King got rocketed one night. They're like, yeah. shut the fuck up, dude. Like, <laughs> I'm like, no, really, it did. Like, it happened. Hey, you know, but to be fair, I talked to a lot of old Air Force vets out here because there's two Air Force bases. And I hear some of their stories about when they were living in downtown Saigon and chilling. I mean, so. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still, know? man. It's yeah, I'm not going to bring those stories up, but let's just. <laughs> Be honest, because my grandfather, you know, rest his soul at this point, but he was in Korea and he would always ask like, hey, you know, how was what what did you do and everything? And, you know, did you guys get to have a beer on this day or whatever? I'm like, no, grandpa, because the main reason we don't get to have beer anymore in combat. Well, we don't. You Green Berets do whatever the fuck you want still. The conventional guys don't because people like you, grandpa, and your unit, you guys fucking ruined it for us. And that's why we can't have fun 60 years later because of all the fun you guys had. We don't get to do any of that shit now at this point. And then he's like, I saw you faggots with a pallet of Avion outside your fucking hooch. Like, God damn it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's even funnier, though. You mentioned the whole Burger King thing. Did you ever go through Kandahar? No, nope, never went okay, there. So Kandahar, they had that boardwalk. I don't know. You may have heard about that, but I mean, there's a Fridays there. I mean, there's a Fridays in Kuwait, but you expect that in Kuwait. There's a Fridays in Kandahar. Absolutely awful, but it's there. It's there. That boardwalk was just like, I mean, you know how this works probably. Anywhere that we are long enough, we're going to turn it into garrison, which is what you were yeah. kind of describing with the, the, yeah. the speed radar checks. But man, I... I tell people this when I, cause I left my last deployment in 2015 uh, and I was based in uh, Arif John and Kuwait and just flew over, you know, doing site visits to Jordan, Qatar and the, the United Arab Emirates. But I would tell people if I dropped you off in the middle of the night in camp Arif John, and you woke up in the middle of that compound, you would think you're in the States. You would not yeah. think you're in a imminent war danger zone. area or a war right. zone. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah. that is a base that is, that looks and you want to talk about handing out tickets. I mean, they hand out tickets for not having your PT belt. Which is also completely <laughs> fucking insane. I mean, fucking, I mean, the shit, this is important though. This is the shit that people should hear about this fucking war. Like, yeah, exactly. motherfuckers had speeding tickets, didn't have your PT belt on, then we went to Burger King. Like, it's, yeah, I, we had it's two Starbucks. Fucking, There's two Starbucks at Camp Eric John. And I would go to both of them on my way to fucking work and didn't care because I would. 
lived in zone six, worked in zone one. I would get one at each because I had nothing else to do. And then I just go work out for six hours a day. Cause what else am I going to do? Right. That is the best part about being deployed in this time and day, as we call it deployed. Uh, you guys still do stuff for real, but most of us don't. We just go and get deployed. Uh, you get, you come back with abs. It goes in along with what you're talking about in the concrete jungle. You need to start training and hell yeah. <laughs> I would recommend joining the military and getting deployed to Kuwait. You can train real fucking hard. (laughs) And they'll pay you tax-free, free free food. You can come back ripped. I guarantee you will come back shredded. Unless you're just lazy. Or fat, one of the two. You can come back fat. You can come back fat. Cheat days were epic. You know, full pizzas from Pizza Hut. Oh, man. How about about surf and turf night, bro? Oh, God. Like, it gets to the point where you're like, this again? Because you don't even appreciate it anymore. Like, so I'm we gonna waste have so much money on surf and dirt. And it's like, oh, great. Crab legs again. As much <laughs> as I want. This sucks. Yeah. So uh, for everyone listening, um, by all means, please join the army. You can experience this. Anyway, so you so you did 2006 into you went to Iraq, correct? Yep. No. And then, okay. So your book touches on not necessarily like in detail on what you guys did, because obviously I understand the sensitive nature of it all, but Right. Um, how was how how was that for you? Because it seems like when when I read your reading, like your words, you seem fine. Like you doesn't you don't seem like, despite all the stuff you were a part of, you don't seem like you came back with any real. I guess, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem like pretty there upstate. Like psychologically, yeah. you seem like you're in a good place. Like yeah, despite I, I think- all the stuff you you've done and seen. Yeah, dude. I, I mean, I think honestly, for the most part, most of uh, most of our people do, uh, yeah. and a lot of that goes back to like, I mean, they spend a lot. The physical like tryout shit is like difficult, but they spend just as much time, or or maybe even more, and money and investment checking your brain to see if you're the kind of person that can do all this shit. Yeah. As uh, I mean, man, I mean, I would see guys that were like fucking mass murderers do some like horrendous fucking crazy shit mm-hmm. and 10 minutes after we get home they're holding the baby girl and the puppy like everything's yeah. cool man like yeah. it's just i don't know it's just i guess just part of the, the the wiring thing i think that and that kind of ties me back into what you know on a, on a different thing i was talking about with some people last week on this um it's fu- it, it's not funny you mentioned that but it, it i think it it's a little ironic in that we have such an issue with our conventional forces because this is where I would tie a lot of this up. Now, don't get me wrong. I get it. There's a lot of special operations guys, Green Berets, whoever, who, who unfortunately take their lives. And yeah, we've got, a, we've got a high suicide rate. Or, uh, you know, what's the other? The uh, suicide didn't want to look like suicide. Like, you know, a fucking, there was a legend of special forces that overdosed on heroin six months after he retired. Like, wow. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I get it. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Well, and but I think like, you talk about how we, we put so much investment into, into your guys's, you know, the wiring, make sure you guys can do, you know, what they are eventually going to ask of you, because, you know, it's, there are many schools you can go to in the military, especially in the army that you'll, you know, once you go through the school, you're never going to do it again. Airborne's probably one of them. Like you can mm-hmm. go to the airborne anytime you want, but you know, you can't just go to the Q course and be like, ah, oh, fuck, I'm a green beret, but <laughs> right. nah, I'm gonna go. you guys have fun. I'm gonna go back to, uh, you know, my code <laughs> life. I don't think that happens. So, 
and I get maybe it's the cost that we're either that we'll always run into issues with and bureaucracy and everything. But I just wondered if we spent a significant amount of that time and effort, like you described, how they put into you guys into some yeah. of not even everybody. I'm not saying everybody. I'm talking about your, your at least your combat centric forces. Right. Oh, dude. Yeah, man, dude. I I 100 percent fucking agree with you there. I mean, it's it's fucking shameful what we do to especially our infantry. I mean, it's yeah. what we do not give them as far as weapons and training, all this other bullshit. And I mean, dude, you could scrap one fucking joint strike fighter F-22 bullshit fucking thing and buy every grunt in the Army and Marine Corps, like a new gun and an optic. Like it's it's actually fucking shameful. Uh, and I I don't know why it's always been this way. I mean, I guess part of it is, is actually military industrial complex, yeah. uh, you know, to outfit a grunt with like the best top of the line shit ever is probably like 50, 60 grand. I mean, nods a gun, a gun, you know, whatever bullshit. Yeah. You know, you're not going to get Boeing and Raytheon excited about that. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that we, uh, for your small, like little special operations dudes and shit, they kind of, they, they have to have that happen. So they just let them buy off the shelf shit all the time. But Which yeah, the way the we worst. treat our instrument is, is fucking shameful. Yeah. No, I think you're, and, and you know what, that, that's what always has just pissed me off the most is like, especially I remember as a drill sergeant, like when privates get close to graduation day, they're like, Oh, I can't wait to go get some boots like you drill sergeant. And I'm like, man, yeah, I get that. But at the same time, I, I was always bothered by, cause when I, you came in at the same time, we got black fucking boots. Right. Yep. And you know, you, if you went to airborne school, you got your jump boots or you may have had some jungle boots because they were a little more comfortable. But the, to me, yeah. the bottoms were always weird. And that's the first issue of the desert boots when we went into Iraq. The second, yeah. like, But I just remember like this whole market of after boot camp and basic training boots from everybody now, Nike, Reebok, Oakley, any brand you can think of that didn't exist Oh and no! So, no you know, that was this, this is a fairly new phenomenon and yeah. Joe can't wait to fucking spend his money on it. Right. And that to me is wrong right there because you know what, what would the, what would, what would I do? Oh, I don't know. Maybe I'll contract with fucking Nike or Oakley or whatever and right. let them make the damn boots and everybody wants and issue those. <laughs> Maybe I'll give that kid 300 bucks to go buy his own fucking boots, but I'll pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know that everyone's like, well, what about the clothing allowance? I'm like, fucking Joe takes that to it's the class fucking- six. Relax, man. Yeah. Come on. So and that's what kind of comes out of like, I don't know if you ever heard the story of uh, the Nike. I, I don't know if he was a VP or something, but he was like, that's why they started making combat boots because I guess he was in World War II and was a paratrooper and wanted to make a good boot for the, for the military or some shit. There's no some, shit. No, I didn't know that, man. Yeah, I can't remember the entire story. I probably dicked it all up, but there's something, that's why Nike got into it. But I mean, everybody's into it at this point. And then you have all the other aftermarket stuff you described, right? Like, what does your average infantry guy go buy? They all go start buying their own, some sort of kit, or they, they go buy oh, yeah. what they can, you know, like they spend, they invest a lot of money into themselves. Right. Because they feel, I don't think they're doing it on purpose. I think they do it because they feel like they have to. Well, I, you know, I kind of agree with it too, because I mean, man, even from, I haven't really looked at a grunt's gear and probably like, 10 uh, probably 12 13 years but i mean their their equipment was fucking junk i mean it was fucking garbage their armor sucked dick it was just Mm. fucking unwieldy fucking trash uh you know they they didn't start getting really acceptable weapons in my opinion like you know optics red dots Mm. and and real fucking training probably like 2005 2006 oh yeah this is definitely post-invasion 
Right. And even at that, you know that shit's falling off now. I wish I had an 11 Bravo I could call right now because it was like of our age. I'm sure he'd be oh, like, I, got, oh, I just got a so new guy bad. in the office. I'll, I'll ask him tomorrow, actually. He just, Good, came, man. Yeah, he just came from he just came from Germany and he hates it. So. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, those guys, because they do a hard fucking job, too. And yeah. grunts have carried a lot of fucking water in this war. Uh, they will get like zero percent of the fucking glory for it. But it's fucking true. I mean, the dudes have done some some pipe hitting mean ass fucking shit. And uh, yeah, they get treated like shit for it. One, the American culture doesn't ever recognize that because they weren't, you know, in fucking SEAL Team 11 and a half. And then two- <laughs> Which you mentioned you know, in the book, like, Concrete oh, Jungle, go read it. Yeah. <laughs> were, you, were you a Navy SEAL? Then fuck, I like, fuck you, man. Uh, you know, uh, and the second thing is, yeah, they get shit for equipment. Like they never, they never get as much ammo as they should have to train. They never get, you know, the best fucking guns and boots and fucking whatever other bullshit. Yeah. They should have all that shit. It's not that expensive. Yeah. And, and, and so what's funny is because I have been fortunate enough just to be in hey, time and place and everything in life. Right. So look, I, when I joined initially, I was in the reserve. So when we went in through the, during the invasion and were, or, you know, did our thing with that, I mean, we didn't know any better. I went in with, I have pictures of me from getting into the Baghdad airport, you know, after we finally were able to get out of the convoy and I got my, you know, Vietnam era flak vest on. Hell yeah. Like, like, but when you put that on, you're like, ah, I got a fucking black vest. You don't really think yeah. anything. Right. Right. Um, you know, the vinyl doors and the Humvees, like there, you, you, there was no such thing as an up armored Humvee. Not for us, at least. I'm sure right. maybe some guys had it. Um, uh, back then, it, probably not. Yeah. But then like a few months after that, you know, we, we got issued our first IOTV. Yeah. And, you know, the first generation with the, the, the sappy inserts and all. And I was just yep. like, we had this, like, you didn't know any better, right? And then now, like when I went in 2015, you know, it's, that's 12 years. That, so I think they're on an IOTV like Gen 4 model now. And they gave up, this was Gen 3 in 2015. And man, you know what that weighed without fucking just a basic load? It was 23 pounds of just yeah. plate. like the side plate, the plate, yeah. back plate. Like I was just, and I was wearing an extra large because I was a big guy at the time. And yeah. I just remember like, I'm working out with that thing and I'm just, how am I? And I'm not even doing the stuff you guys were doing, but I just remember thinking to myself, like, what the hell am I supposed to do anything with this on? Right. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely the same. But I've seen, and I, I don't bring that up to be negative. I bring that up more so to put like, there is some, I think an effort to, 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 to advance those things, but what does it go back to the military industrial complex? Cause all that is, is another contract for some other company. Exactly. And uh, you know, Mattis, despite the fact that he's done some, some boneheaded fucking things in the last two years, he was a big proponent of trying to, you know, basically uh, there was a, there was a phrase that he used it for, I forget what the hell it was, but basically bring our, our infantry up like two generations of yeah. equipment and fucking training. And that is what needs to happen. You know, yeah. I mean, we need those fucking guys and they need to have some fucking first rate shit. And the fact they don't is bullshit. Yeah. And you know what? I also want, this is one, I had a ton of notes. I'm not going in order at all, but it is something you brought up in the book. And I mentioned it, I wrote it down here because I remember watching a live fire exercise at Fort Benning once upon a time. And I think it was 2009, 2010. Um, but like, I don't know if it was the Saudi prince himself or it was like his representative was at Benning and we were doing this live fire demonstration for him. And the guy buys like $35 billion worth of Bradley's after that. But it goes to something you said in the book, how like the Saudi Arabian army is like, <laughs> totally Gucci'd out and they've got everything. And oh, that's man. so true. Like they really spend a ton of money on our equipment and stuff. 
they buy and you point out and i don't know i did i've i've never really actually seen the saudi army in person i've only heard things yep. i've seen every other middle eastern branch of military air force whatever i've never seen the saudis but you say they can't fight their way out of a paper bag dude you could <laughs> you could grab the the in-processing platoon at the 82nd airborne and <laughs> kick the ever-living shit out of the saudis and <laughs> And it's, I mean, they're fucking soft people. So how does it work for them? Like all their officers, and I want to say all the uh, first line, like, you know, royal bodyguard type dudes have to be Saudi city citizens. Okay. Looks like Kuwaitis. Like you're a, a Saudi citizen. Like you get some ins from that oil. Yeah. Side. So oil you, money. <laughs> yeah. So these motherfuckers have grown up like soft, prissy boy, fucking Nancy ass. And uh, then they're going to like form into a military. Like, nah, dog. That shit ain't gonna happen. And I've seen it the same way from several of those countries over there that are rich. Like if they have an effective military, it's because they have like basically hired like four regiments of mercenaries to like keep them from getting fucking killed. Like, yeah, they couldn't find their way to a wet paper bag. It is weird though, because they have all that equipment. Um... <laughs> oh yeah, dude, they got equipment even on like the soft side that makes us fucking look like, you know, fucking Kmart. I mean, they got some yeah. gangster shit, but yeah, they, they don't know how to use it. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say where are they getting it from. It's gotta be from us, but right. I don't know. Maybe that's maybe China. Um, and then I go back to kind of the infantry thing because it was, it was about, I think I was trying to tie it into the mental aspect and what, what effort is, you know, put into you guys to make sure that you guys can do that. And you know this, like there's a, there's, there's no waivers for you to get into the fucking, you either meet the qualifications to go do special forces shit or you don't. Right. Right. Now I'm sure they can do waivers from everything. There's a waiver, there's a waiver for everything. Waiver. I got it. But at the end of the day, you need to have this baseline of uh, smarts and adaptability right. and some, some general, you know, awareness of what you need to be able to do. Yep. And I had a, what my best friend to this day is one of the, he literally is the smartest guy I know, but um, I remember he was the first guy I knew to join the army uh, right after, well, not right after high school, but fairly shortly after, but he was a gifted student. You know, he's, he's just, again, smartest dude. I know he's super successful on his own in business now, um, but he got a 99 on the ASVAB and all he wanted to do the recruiter at the time, we don't do this anymore, but the recruiter said to him, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? He's like, I just want to be airborne. I just want to be infantry and I want to go to Italy done. 99 ASVAB, go be airborne infantry in Vicenza, live the life for four years. That's exactly what he did. Um, the stories are great. <laughs> <laughs> but he would always tell me, and I've seen this now after being in as long as I have, is like the, the infantry is full of the smartest and the dumbest all yeah. in one. And that's where I think we're uh, like, it's a legacy thing. Cause I mean, you get the history of the foot yeah. soldier, right? Got it. Yeah. <clears throat> And I already know, like, hey, there's, we don't have enough as it is to 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 fill the infantry ranks with, you know, the a, a smarter individual. I'm sure we would love that, but for the most part, the really smart ones don't automatically want to do infantry first. Now there are some that do. Don't get me wrong, but at the end of the day, we we got to understand, like, yes, the 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 best and the brightest officers go into the infantry, right? That is not how the infantry works for the enlisted. <laughs> it, is, it is not um, but that's because it's a voluntary thing and i got it i just wish and i don't know if i don't know if you if if you have any insight on that or if there's something you've just seen maybe working with conventional guys while you're in but what do you think is kind of the 
I guess the, the, the limiting factor of the infantry now, is it intelligence? Is it, is it just, is it equipment thing? Is it what kind of makes those guys or what would make them better? More, yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to say that a big piece of it, like you said, there, I mean, there's this legacy of, uh, of this country thinking that like infantry were fucking idiots, which is right. absolutely not true, exactly. uh, which you know, I've seen the same. I, I would agree with you there. 100%. I've seen the smartest and some of the dumbest motherfuckers I've ever met, but still the infantry has a higher GT requirement than a lot of other jobs. Yes, and, and that is true. For the army. Yeah. <laughs> but I think honestly, the thing that would help the most is if we as a, as a society and as a DOD, stop treating them like fucking redheaded stepchildren. So one of the other things is everybody hates an infantry when there's not a war on. Because- Yeah, I've heard that throughout my entire life. <laughs> little beer bottle throwing, like <laughs> guys joined that job because they want to do adventure shit. And if you don't have an adventure to give them, like they're going to fucking make one up. And that's what <laughs> you know? So typically they are the kids starting fights and all this, you know, taking the MPs on a height, all this other bullshit. <laughs> well, fuck man, that kind of comes with the territory. Like that's the guy that you wanted then to hold the line and fucking against yeah. the machine, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so part of it, I think is understanding that too. Like I said, you know, we got to start treating them a little bit differently. And, uh, and that comes from like image too, which something the DOD could help with. I mean, when, uh, when the 82nd Airborne's DRF one, God damn, was that last year? I think it was, I think it was like the end of 2019 into last year uh, when they, when they uh, took the DRF one over to uh, Baghdad to hold the fucking embassy. And they were talking about doing a fucking jump and all this other shit. Mm. You could have recruited like fucking 25,000 new, new guys being the A-second airborne that day. If we treat the A-second airborne like that every day or the Marine infantry or a 10th mountain. I mean, cause think about Ranger Battalion, man, that's an infantry, but they don't have any fucking problem recruiting. I mean, they got a three year waiting list to get in a Ranger Battalion. And none of these kids off the street know that. No, they don't. You know, <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> they do not. Yeah. But well, I think you're right though. But they also, I think the big thing, and this is what I at least see without so there's a specific there's there's one branch that is spending a ton of time advertising for everything but that. If you can read between the lines on that one. So, <laughs> so we are we are not yeah. uh, they are not uh trying to upgrade their infantry no i don't i, th it, I think no. that it's it's the uh, it's it's all the other stuff <laughs> which i get trust me i yeah. I'm, I'm i'm on board with all of it like i i, I people should know that because i think that that are, there is and there's an image there's a just it's not an image problem or it's not a mark it may be a marketing thing but i think at the end of the day most people who don't have any family members or know anybody in the military you talk to these people for the first time the first thing they automatically assume is that the army is nothing but Oh, dude, I didn't infantry. know that there was, I didn't know there were jobs when you, when you signed up. Like when I yeah, went to the exactly. tour, I was like, like, what do you want to be? And I was like, you know, fucking Marine, man. Like you get like a machine gun, right? Yeah. And, and that's uh, how the Marines do it. Like you're going right. to be a Marine. They're, you don't get, don't worry about what you're doing. You're going to be a Marine. <laughs> right. And that shit works on 17. Oh yeah. Hell yeah, it does. They like, kill the high school Marine. Excavator. Like, fuck. But uh, I mean, you but, don't learn that stuff until after the fact. Like, how did you sign up for that? Like, what made you sign up for the Marine? Oh, yeah, you're a Marine, but dude, you're a fucking mechanic. Relax. Right. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just got a different right. uniform, but you're still a mechanic. You're still training at Fort Lee with all the everybody else. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> talking but, to yeah. uh, talking to Clay Martin, author of multiple books, as he's pointed out. But you can pick up the Concrete Jungle, which is a Green Berets guide to urban survival, and then he has Prairie Fire out now. 
which as he described earlier is basically a red state guide to surviving a civil war started by a blue state or blue state people blue county whatever blue county all right blue county yeah uh, there's there there's a plethora of them around here so all right let me get into something that i found how are we doing on time for you i can do this all oh, yeah we're good man okay. no worries all right so you wrote on a ton of things in the in the the concrete jungle book but one of the chapters you have is on learning some hand-to-hand fighting skills learning how to defend yourself without a weapon or you know i guess with one knife blade whatever i prefer with one but yeah <laughs> I, I would assume a man with your history would probably assume to have a weapon with him i mean unless <laughs> you're just into go trying out i don't know there used to be i don't know if they do this anymore but i remember being in high school and uh, there was always like uh boxing nights at local clubs like de- nightclubs like they would Ooh, stop shit. the music yeah like this was in downtown wow. orlando they would stop them and and guys were taking this shit serious they were training for like <laughs> going to the club dancing for like two hours and then all of a sudden hey it's 11 p.m we're gonna have the fights yeah and so anyway i don't know if you you're into the boxing thing but i'm that's, not that's that's hilarious that's crazy yeah. I, I i'm too old for it myself uh but <laughs> I, I, much I don't prefer- know anderson silva just fought made it to fourth that's made true. it to the fourth round but i mean uriah hall's not young either but silva i, I was just like First round, I was like, oh, you still got it. Yeah. I've done this once or twice. I've put a 300 win mag from like 1,200 yards. But yeah. but you don't always get your choice. You don't always get your choice. Exactly. But, uh, but yeah, going into the hand-to-hand chapter of this, uh, you know, I knew this was going to be controversial. Uh, just because, I mean, that is, uh, dude, it's like I say about men. There's four things that every man in this world thinks he can do better than every other man. <laughs> He's never had a minute of training. That is shoot drive fight and the other one yeah <laughs> and man it's fucking like that bro i mean yeah. dude you i mean you will see people like challenge a fucking ufc champion at a fucking bar like, like, yeah. they're gonna, like i mean some guy that you know doesn't have enough cardio to throw 10 punches and it fucking uh, happens well braxton uh not to cut you off because I, I want you to feel yeah. that but braxton mccoy we mutual probably of ours, but it, yep. you know, he he's he knows some mma fighters and it, I, he just put this out a couple days ago but he's like I know a lot of these dudes and they will slap you in the face on site just for saying the stuff that you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you asking for? You're asking to get beat. Like, come on. But that's all right. Never mind. I'll get into it later, but anyway. go ahead. Back to anyway. Yeah. So, so going into this, you know, I knew this, this bit was going to be controversial because everybody has an opinion on this. And, and for the most part, it's an untested opinion though. I mean, because most people honestly in yeah. this day and age, have never been in a fucking street fight they have no idea what the fuck they're talking about but i was really tired and also you know concrete jungle was written to dispel a lot of myths about shooting and everything else but to if you have very limited time point you in the right direction of like this is what you need to do this is the minimum that's going to get you by Mm-hmm. And uh, and you're actually not the first person to call me on this because a couple of people have called me on uh, the fact that I basically like say don't do any traditional martial arts like it's all strip mall <laughs> fucking taekwondo bullshit it's not gonna fucking work and I've actually been called on it by a couple of mutual friends that are like re- real legitimate old school you know Okinawan karate like hardcore like bare knuckles beat each other kind of guys yeah. And so I probably should have put a better, like, there are exceptions to the rule thing up front. Because there are. Yeah, right. But for the most part, what I say in there is true. And that is that most, like, the more exotic somebody tells you their hand-to-hand combat system is, the more it's bullshit. Yeah. So, okay. So let's get into that. Because, <clears throat> uh, so this is, 
I brought this up because I bought the book for my brother. I had him, you know, read it as well because stuff he could he could use. But uh, I remember reading that chapter and finishing it and be like, all right, I got to I got to get his take on this stuff. <laughs> uh, my brother has done mixed martial arts from as long as I can remember growing up because he would just my brother's older. So he would come home and whatever he learned that day he would fucking practice on me. It's fucking sweet. Like yeah, so in, in a way, he was toughening me up. But, it, it, you know, the the, the small version of me just wanted to cry to my mom but you know, whatever <laughs> I totally get that yeah i i feel as he's toughened me up because now he's like i don't understand how you're you've been in the army and you 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 think like being in the army is fun and i'm like well i don't understand how you like getting punched in the face bro because i don't right you know <laughs> it's I'm much beautiful. better in my opinion to be behind a rifle than you know hey let's let's stand here and fight like no i don't have that wiring he's like well i don't have that wiring i'm like all right well then we're different, but thanks for beating me up over the years. Uh, so anyway, he, one of the things he's done um, is Krav Maga, and you have a you have a section about that. You actually rank it last in all of your. I do. Yeah. So he said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna read a few sentences here, quoting. Uh, he's right about the Polish Krav Maga guys, but like any martial art, it depends on the school and where that school is located." Uh, and he trained us in L.A. The guys in L.A. at the gym I trained with were essentially. Um, was essentially an MMA gym with street fighting mixed in. So it was a mix of everything. The top guys were on the local MMA circuit. Three were in strike force. We had one or two in UFC, but they were primarily brought in as Brazilian jiu-jitsu coaches. The average guy was some West LA dork, but they usually got weeded out on the first time they got punched in the face hard. And that is what he's probably experienced because most people who train these things are those people. They're not what you describe, which are, I think in the book you describe as like, you know, well, that was my well fit, whatever guys who were just training to go actually fight right. and survive. Right. So, so that was my caveat to, to ranking Krav Maga last. So mm-hmm. I had a really good time in 2006 because I was co-located with a bunch of uh, Polish special forces guys. Cool. Uh, we were like on their base, like, I mean, for like nine months, like hang out every night. And uh, awesome. I like to fight. So they like to fight, <laughs> turns out. And uh, the uh, the Polish uh, special forces, they are big Krav Maga guys. Yeah. Uh and so, like, you know, they're doing shit, and I'd seen them like, like mangle some fucking people, and uh, you know, we'd fight each other for for fun, you know, not like yeah. you know, killing each other, but like training and shit. Um, I mean, super respectful, and those dudes, I mean, they were hard as a fucking cop and nail. In fact, I would put them in a fist fighting contest up against anybody across the US DOD and expect them to win every time. Because they don't have any money for bullets. They beat the shit every day. I mean, they, they fight every day. Like, you put that in the book, which is true, right, I think, right? right? You know, we spend money on what we can spend money on. Right. <laughs> they got borrowed knobs. They didn't borrow this. You know what yeah. I mean? So, I mean, they train it legitimately for a couple hours every day. Uh, in fact, they even asked me if I wanted to fight their master trainer when he came around. And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely you know? not. No. I mean, it's, yeah, I was like, Unless I want to snipe against me. How about that? Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> You know, so that was actually the first time I'd, I'd seen Krav Maga. And I was like, man, these guys are fucking all right. Well, so I, I actually tried it out at a couple of gyms. And I'm going to assume that your brother's right. He's probably at a hard-ass place. And L.A. is also, Southern California in general is a very good, you know, martial arts place in general. That's right. where the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu gym started. That's that where, was- you know, you've seen a, a lot of champions grow up. Well, everywhere else in the United States, at least, that I've seen, Krav Maga is a fucking bad joke. I mean, it's like straight out of the uh, Israeli special fucking TV commercials and you show up and it's, I mean, it's complete and absolute fucking horse shit. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it will get you fucking murdered uh, unless you're in a badass place. And I mean, I, I make no apologies for that. So I always thought that was more of like 
Taekwondo will get you murdered. It will. Oh, yeah, it absolutely and, will. And Capoeira will get you murdered. Yes, yes. But there well, are some good movies about those. <laughs> right, right. Only the Strong, for those who have seen it. Right. When, I'm sure there are other exceptions in the country. Like the four or five places I've tried with Krav Maga, they're, they're as bad or worse than strip mall Taekwondo. Yeah. But like see, so are. you've done this stuff, though. So I do get, I mean, I put credit into that because it, you're not just, I'm going, like everyone else on the internet today, especially Twitter's like, I'm just going to give my complete opinion on something I've never <laughs> experienced, right? Because that's, I think, the downfall of most arguments on the internet is most of them right. are just given based off of a reaction to a headline and there's no substance to it. But you say, so you've, you've done a lot of this stuff. So uh, right. what do you, do you, do you still practice to this day something or, or what, what is, what is your go-to at this point? Yeah. And you know, I'm not gonna pretend that I'm like, you know, master hand-to-hand combat due to yeah, the no, universe either. Yeah. That's not my, it's not my deal, but uh, yeah. Uh, up until I got the blood clot this year, I still practice Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, yeah. uh, Judo when I can. Um, I haven't been able to do anything this year, which has been extraordinarily painful, but yeah. Yeah. And, you know, over the last 20 years, I've, I've crammed in where I could. There were years where I couldn't do anything because I was, you know, doing other stuff. Right. But I've always tried to get back to, uh, especially the jiu-jitsu and judo gyms. That's kind of my my thing. Yeah. And I used to like to kickbox a lot, but uh, I've sustained enough shoulder injuries now that I can't even hit a bag more than about one round. So that yeah. pretty much means you can't be a kickboxer because, you know, just how it works. But yeah, I, I've done this stuff. You know, I fought in tough man contests when I was younger and all that kind of dumb shit. Yeah, that's kind of what it was at the club I was describing. It was like yeah. a tough man thing. I couldn't yeah. think of the name of it. Yeah, like yeah. randomly at Club Roxy in downtown Orlando. Good <laughs> right. But, no, but that is so. I mean, that's interesting because I do remember you you, you writing a lot. Like, I think you're 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 kind of a, a pretty big stand for judo. I'm a huge stand for judo, yeah. actually. But it's been ruined, I think, kind of what you said, though, because oh, the Olympics, you yeah. see, oh, it's not fun. like, that's not, that's not real. That's dude, it's, it fucking kinda... sucks ass. I'm going to tell a story. <laughs> out of, I'm going to tell a story out of school here okay. uh, a little bit, because I don't like to shit on anybody's thing unless I actually have to. But I was a judo guy when I was younger. Uh, I was, you know, fucking real good at it for where I was or whatever. And I loved it. And uh, I've also ended multiple street fights in my life with one good throw. You throw a motherfucker on pavement, like it's over. Sure, yeah, gravity's a powerful drug. Yeah, so. Broken ribs, <laughs> fucking dislocated shoulders are fucked up. Uh, so I didn't, I didn't actually get to train in judo proper for like 17, 18 years. So I'm finally retired now. I got to a place in my life and go back to a judo gym. And uh, I'm out of shape. I'm like, fuck, I'm going to get massacred tonight. <laughs> my instructor before was a little short like this wide korean guy that would absolutely like fuck you up like he was just a, a vicious terrible human being and i loved him for it <laughs> I, I don't even remember if he spoke english i don't think he it's did the leverage he's got that yeah, leverage exactly <laughs> but that's the kind of judo that i was used to and then uh yeah i went back to this and i was like i went back to one gym i was like oh this is fucking terrible uh you know it's it's not great well, then I actually went, I moved over to Oregon for a little while and I trained with, uh, God damn it, now my TBIs are kicking in, Dennis Ash, who runs uh, Connection Rio Jiu-Jitsu. He actually opened a hostel in, in Rio de Janeiro when he was a young man so that he could go to Brazil and train and actually get his black belt down there. Nice. And uh, he was one of the first guys to ever, one of the first Americans to ever get his black belt in Brazil. Oh, wow. So he's got this school there and uh, I show up. And uh, I'm also going to say that I've trained at a lot of jujitsu gyms between in the last 20 years, just on and off, you know, just like little things here and there. Mm-hmm. About 30, 40% of the time, like, you know, I can chew up their blue belts and shit. Well, I show up at Dennis's facility and I got the absolute living shit kicked out of me by all of his white belts. I'm like, <laughs> and it also a lot of jujitsu has changed in the last 20 years since I was like, you yeah. know, 
yeah, but I mean, the right. game has come up like drastically, but right. I mean, they kicked the living shit out of me. And I was like, oh, oh my fuck, like what is going on here? And uh, so I trained really hard there for about six, eight months. And uh, I mean, it was fantastic. It's the best jujitsu time that I've ever had. Well, then I tried to go to a judo gym when I moved again. And uh, dude, I couldn't even break a sweat. It was like embarrassing. Really? Like, oh, like yeah, it was. So it's, I mean, it's, it's just like crap. My God, it's very hit or miss. Goes like, back to where you're at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah you're you, in there like, like, what's, what's how, how tall, how big are you? You're like a big uh, I am like six foot tall. I weigh about 240. Okay. So just picking a fight with you in general is not a good idea for the average person. But that's kinda, I think that goes with what you're saying though. You, you, what you may lack in technique, you can kind of get some smaller guys on strength. Right. You know, briefly before you tire yourself or whatever. Right. right. I got that though. But yeah, so I, that's what I don't think a lot of people understand is uh, you kind of need to know what you're getting yourself into and you need oh, to yeah, weight classes. Weight classes <laughs> exist for a reason. Exactly. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's a perfect thing. That's true. That is funny because uh, now the average person could probably still get you know, destroyed by a 135 pound fucking Uriah Faber type. You know what I mean? Like he right. would probably hurt me. Right. I, I don't think I, I would get him. Fight. I might be okay, but he's still going right. to figure out a way to get out of that shit. So yeah, I, I wouldn't want to fight him either. Yeah. You know? But yeah. still like if, if you watch this stuff, whatever it is you're watching judo or judo, I'm sorry, judo boxing UFC. If a man's six, four and two fifty, you got to really have some skill to take that one or else, you know, yeah, the law of, <laughs> yeah. The law of, uh, you know, natural selection is going to weigh out at some point, unless you guys take a math test, he might be dumb. I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. So we've, we've touched on that angle, but I want to go back to something because I know this is kind of up your alley. So what is, what, what do you think the average American gets wrong about gun ownership and their pursuit of it? Cause you talked about 25 to 50 million new gun owners. Oh. What, what, what are they doing wrong? What are they going about wrong? And I guess the, the segue from that would be kind of where should they start? Oh, man, that's a, that's a tough one because yeah, got him. Fuck. Stumped him. <laughs> well, dude, honestly, just like the, uh, the hand to hand stuff, like yeah. there are, a shit ton of people that are trainers in the firearms world. And there's like this many that actually know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. I read that, which was kind of alarming. <laughs> well, it's also my point in the book. It's really unfortunate though, because like with, with hand to hand stuff, like we can sort that out real quick. Like, yeah. like yeah. if I go to your brother's gym and I'm like, <laughs> you guys are a bunch of fucking candy ass. And I know the magic fucking sauce. <laughs> they're going to indulge me right they're going to be like sweet bro show us the magic sauce yeah and i'm either going to have the magic sauce or i'm not and that's how it works well with the gun shit there's really no equivalent to that because also because a lot of the tackle guys poo-poo the the competition guys like oh that's just competition bullshit and you're going to see a lot of that on the interwebs yeah yeah and that's fucking nonsense because you know bullet place where you want it to go fast is a bullet place where you want it to go fast there's some different things between like competitive and tackle shooting, but you should still be able to hang if you're a good shooter at either one. Uh, so the biggest thing is you got to get some training. You got to get it from somebody that actually knows what the fuck they're doing. Uh, and the only way to do that is like, you've really got to do your homework about is this guy actually competent? Being better than you is not fucking helpful. Like if yeah. you're just, a, if you're a new guy, you like, and this guy's like, well, he's way better than me. Like, well, yeah, no shit. Like he could have had the gun for three days. Like you don't know. (laughs) So, but you know, finding that competency is, uh, 
is difficult. And I don't remember if I put this in the book or not, but this is how I felt about it when I stepped out of, uh, you know, being in a, a mean ass fucking special forces direct action unit into the training world. It was like going from the UFC to the WWE. Uh, that's, that's really how I felt about yeah. it. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's all of a sudden, dark. yeah, it's, it's fucking true though. Yeah. So, you know, people are showing up to my classes and they're like, well, you know, you're kind of like, like fucking Chris Costa. I'm like, no, bitch, I shot people to death. Like, yeah. what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, he's a fucking Magpul video. He's in a goddamn Coast Guard. He was a fucking janitor or something. Like, you know, it, and it's the fucking truth. And then I started looking around at, like, 90% of the uh, the fucking chest-thumping, like, making cool guy rock videos and shit. Like, yeah. these motherfuckers don't know shit. And, uh, yeah, it was a rude awakening. But it's still kind of that way. There's just not that many competent people that want to step into that arena for some reason. Why, why is that? Is it a liability thing or? <clears throat> I think a bigger issue is that you have to compete with that shit. You know, the, I mean, it's, it's actually insulting that I would have to say one of the, my first clients actually came from, I'm at a three gun match down in Georgia. Uh, and uh, like I said, I was a, a pro on the competitive circuit too. And the, this, this three gun match happened through the task force dagger three gun match. So it's uh, put on by Andy Horner, whose uh, son is Daniel Horner, who's in the AMU. Uh, but Andy's been like a super respectful, like supporter of the military community forever. So he makes this like insanely difficult match and it draws in like all these, like, uh, you know, dagger has a whole bunch of dudes there, retired veterans and, you know, ranger back guys and shit. And, uh, so we ended up, there's a whole bunch of us there and we're sitting around the campfire and, you know, talking about the old days of, you know, shooting Hodge in the face or whatever. And, uh, somebody I'd never seen before. So we're kind of all the military guys, like telling stories and shit. And like, I, I like look around and we have like an audience of people and I'm like, Oh, this is fucking weird and awkward. But I'm retired now, so fuck it. I can tell these stories. Yeah, <laughs> it was like a fucking lull in the story. And uh, somebody—it was actually his kid—is like, "Hey, uh, you know, you guys just talked about shooting all these people in their night vision goggles. We're going to go to a Chris Costa night fighter course. And what do you think?" And I was like, uh, "I got to look over there." And uh, <laughs> everybody else is kind of like, and then he said it again. So now I have to say, I'm like. I tell you what, if you don't go to that fucking clown shoes fucking class, I'll fly out to wherever you live, you just pay for the plane ticket, and I'll teach you how to fucking fight with goggles on. And uh, they were like, they'd never heard anything like that before. They're like, did you just insult the, you know, the God Emperor? Like, yeah, fuck that clown. <laughs> you know? And so I did. And uh, they actually ended up paying me what they would have paid him, which was cool. But that was kind of how I got into it. Uh, but then, you know, as I looked around, like, at that piece, like, I'm going to have to do this every time. Like I'm going to have to just skull drag these, these pretend fucking wannabe gunfighter dudes. Yeah. You know, and that's just, and that's a fucking pain in the ass, dude. It's just not really the way of our people. You know, it's just not. But I, I think well, you touched on that. Cause I, there's a, there, there's a few dudes we've come across. Uh, when I was up in the Northern Sacramento area, but uh, just based on the area and the terrain, like airsoft's a big thing up there. Yeah. Yep. These guys, they all look like they're about to go fucking kill bin Laden. Oh yeah, dude. They got like, but they don't want nothing to do with the military, which is weird to me. Like that's what blows my mind. Like, I don't, I don't. So I was curious. Cause I always, as I was reading, cause you wrote about some of this in the book, I was just curious. Did anything ever come up in conversation? Like, so were you guys in the military at all? Or did you, why didn't you go down that path? Because I, I understand why you naturally transitioned into shooting because you yeah. like it, you're good at it. You want to keep doing right. it. Yeah. 
But the counter of that is these guys who, for whatever reason, they don't take those skills into some real world application. You know what I mean? Like, so I was just, how was that? This is something that you may not have have noticed, but uh, you're from Orlando, right? Yes. Okay. Well, you're from a bigger place, but still, like, if you go back to Orlando today, what percentage of your graduating class from high school would you say is still there? Oh, a lot. <laughs> Massive. Yeah. Right, like 70%? Yeah. Probably maybe half. 50%, okay. Yeah. Uh, enough that I'm just, I look at them on Facebook. I'm like, you guys, you know, you can leave. Well, dude, I'm from a town of like 4,000 where people talk about nothing but getting the fuck out of there. Yeah. Right. If, if I went back today, 60, 70% still live there. Yeah. That's crazy. People, people are afraid of change. Uh, they really are. And believe it or not, just like that, that step to like go to the fucking army and get on the fucking bus and get off what? at yeah. you know, Fort Jackson or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's, that is a bigger step than you or I will probably ever give it credit for. And it's something that instantly disqualifies like 60% of the people on planet earth. That, yeah. That's a, that's a very good point. I think it's a very good point. It's a weird one to think about, especially you've been in now for a while. Do you PCS yeah. all over the place, fucking whatever, fucking, you know, the army tells you tomorrow that you're going to fucking Iceland, you'd be like, fucking throw some sleeping bags. You know, that's how it works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's not normal. <clears throat> that is true. Um, yeah, but like, I think that was just so hard for me because it was just like, I think Nick always talks about is it. like, you guys are these, these, these cosplay or cosplay. Well, I don't even know how to pronounce that word costume play adult whatever it's like you guys are coast coast in the military and it's yeah there's a part of me that's just like why don't you go do this shit for fucking real you know use the skills you're already really obviously good at it so that's going to be a leg up for you maybe you're lacking something else i well, think i don't know dude think about it this way man fucking you're talking about the airsofters now i have a lot of friends that are competitive shooters and a lot of you know very good friends mm-hmm. uh i mean and i'm talking like you know champions uh you know, all the, but how many of those dudes enlisted after 9-11? Right. And that's the only reason I enlisted. So, right. But I mean, <laughs> 9-11 happened like, okay, yeah, it went down. Right. how many of them? Uh, I'm also not counting the army marksmanship unit because that's fucking bullshit. It doesn't count. Um, <laughs> they don't, man. I mean, that shit doesn't, it's like being a fucking NASCAR driver for the army. Like, yeah, they deploy long enough to get a comp. It doesn't count. Um, uh, how many of those guys like enlisted and like, you know, I'm going to fucking Ranger Battalion and I'm going to apply these fucking skills to fucking shooting Hodge in the face. And uh, to my knowledge, uh, none. Yeah. I, I think that's a very, and that's what I'm kind of worried about at this point, man, because I mean, that was kind of the, that was the call for our generation for the most part. You right. know what I mean? That's, that's, yeah. that was the call to service. And I, and I always know this, it's been taught to me by my grandfather, my dad, all my parents, any, all my parents, my parents, both of them. Um, but anyway, it, it's usually every generation is going to get their test, right? Yep. And I'm seeing this, you know, I have a daughter who's 14, she'll be 15 soon. Um, this whole COVID shit is kind of, I think this generation's, what are you going to do moment? That's fair. And yep. I don't know if this is their, what are you going to do moment in terms of serving your country and joining the military, but I can't think of anything else that would be at this point. Cause you know, we're, we're going on almost 20 years now of this thing with Afghanistan, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's look, man, if I was, if I was going to go back to me and, and the, the moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to drop out of college and join the army. Do you really think I would be sitting here 20 years later, almost thinking like, yeah, we're still there. <laughs> still there man. like that's what's hard to me because i'm not only rec- we're not only recruiting 
individuals who were born after 9 11. Mm-hmm. Dude, we're recruiting individuals who were born after the invasion into Iraq in 2003. That's fucking staggering. It is. They don't know what the fuck 9 11 was. They don't know what Iraq was. Like, and this was the thing I used to always do, like, yeah, with new, every, every new cycle, right? We would always do this in, uh, as a drill sergeant at Fort Benning. This was 2009, 2010. I would always go, hey, what happened on, you know, March 19th, 2003? I don't know. Like, it wasn't even that long ago, and they didn't know it was the invasion <laughs> to Iraq. You know what I mean? So, I, it, it's just, it's kind of staggering to me mentally to this day to just think of, like, all right, what what what's the rallying what's what's the what's the easiest way to 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 get these people to think like hey serve your country like and the only thing i can come up to or come back to is this this covid thing and that's its own set of challenges but there's no there's no mass terrorist attack to rally around there's no not not today there isn't not today yeah that's what i'm saying i'm just saying like the, the, these kids who are born that have no concept of Oh, 11 like what's I mean, there i mean literally tomorrow the fucking communist revolution in the goddamn streets could happen could it's we're not a, there yet we're not there yet so but let me hold on so let me get back what i because we're i this is i kind of i really enjoy talking to you because i i feel like if we were in a bar we just sit there and close it and we probably <laughs> would never talk about half the shit we were supposed to but um <clears throat> so yes the, the the average person who's like, man, I need, I just need to go get a gun. I need yeah. to, I, what what should they what should they get? What would you recommend they learn on first? Because before you answer, let me preface it by saying this: I I I was never really brought up on guns as a kid yep. growing up. My dad always had them. I just never really shot anything until I was yeah. like a seventeen year old. I shot a shotgun, and then right. I went into the army and I learned how to shoot a rifle. And I'm I'm pretty good with a rifle. I absolutely suck with a handgun still to this day. I don't own one. I suck with it. I own a rifle. I'm good with it. My brother's the opposite. Didn't go to the military. He can fight better than me, obviously. <laughs> uh, don't want to fight him hand to hand, but I will shoot him with a rifle from a safe distance. Damn but he's, yeah, he owns all his rifles. Bird. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's not very good with a rifle, but he is great with a handgun. Wow. Because he, he's got both. Yeah, and yep. I just... Makes sense. Yep. Yeah, like I can call my shot with a rifle. Yep. He can't yep. do any of that shit. And he's mesmerized by it. I'm like, dude, you can hit a wall five feet in front of you with a handgun. I can't. I mean, that, that's <laughs> that's my level of skill with a handgun. I'm horrible. So the average person is like, shit, I got to go get a gun. What do they get? Where do they start? What do you think? The biggest piece of this is going to be what do you think is going to happen next? Because a handgun has no place in a fucking combat zone. Like, this shit might as well be a fucking <laughs> ornament on your desk. Like, this shit's retarded. Like, but... <laughs> For the normal day-to-day citizen, like living in the normal piece of this country, you're much more likely to get in like a concealed carry confrontation than you are some kind of rifle-sized fight where you're going to, I don't know, be shooting two or 300 yards or have to yeah. shoot like fucking 25 people in a row. So it depends. If you think that we're going to have a communist revolt, go get a rifle and learn on that. And it's going to be an AR-15 if you can still find one. Uh, yeah. If you live in California, you it's going to be, you know, a Muslim the God, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whatever you, whatever you people. Hit that connex at the Oakland port. <laughs> right, exactly. But, uh, you know, for most people, it's going to be a handgun. <clears throat> um, and you could even slip a shotgun in there as like the home defender if I was like, really yeah. anything you want to do. But the biggest thing that, that I want people to do before they go buy one is you've got to have friends that have guns. Or if you don't, go to the rental counter. Spend like $300 at the rental counter renting different guns 
because there's so much hype and bullshit that goes around buying a weapon that you can buy something that's completely unsuited for you and maybe a completely overpriced piece of shit. And you're not going to know that for six months. Uh, and then you're going to find out and be like, Oh, this is dumb. And then you've, you're never going to get the resale value out of it. unless it's 2020. And uh, it's just going to be a bad day out. Yeah. So if you got friends with guns, go shoot them, buy them some bullets, buy them a thousand rounds of, of whatever and, and, and shoot the damn thing. Because you know, guns also fit differently too. Like we we live in a golden age of weapons where everything is pretty good. But just because something fits my hands well doesn't mean yeah. it's gonna fit yours. And that's why there's different brands. That's why there's like you know, nine different brands of pistols that yeah. are, are all high quality stuff that's that's not even that unreasonably priced, like you know, five, six hundred bucks. So so that's <clears throat> I think that's a good point because someone just recently hit us up over the weekend. Um and was asking a, a very, I mean, it was great, great questions on a, a specific handgun, I think, a caliber difference between a nine and a 40. And I'm just like, I don't know, but I know people who do know. So yeah. let me ask them. And um, I think the, the, the main suggestion I think they were coming back with was like, you need to shoot whatever you, before you buy something, shoot it, rent it, yeah. you know, do what you kind of just said, like, don't just buy something, you no. know, yeah, because it's. I think it's kind of like any other purchase. You just go to a car lot and buy something without ever, right? You know, right? I mean, exactly. very similar. Um, but I also think that's kind of what most people, especially out here, the trouble they're running into is they don't have those options. But yeah, she was fortunate true. she did because she's actually in the state and she was able to do that. Um, but yeah, like I got a gun store literally three blocks away, man. I can walk to it and there's nothing. And the dude is oh, fortunately very down. nice and cordial with me because he used to be in, the, he's a vet. But he's just honest. He's like, ain't going to be for a while, man. There's just nothing. Like the only thing there is like random, like lever. I don't know what those fucking <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the little, not like, it's not even a Henry. It's like some random knockoff Henry. Uh, and just odd calibers where there's no bullets. It's just. Yeah. 35 know, wheelings and shit. Yeah. Yeah. And the only handguns there revolvers, which I hear are pretty cool. I just, I've never really shot one. Um, they take a little bit more skill to uh, master because the triggers are weirder, but mm. they are uber reliable. I mean, yeah. and, uh, and you can learn to run them extremely fast too. I mean, you'd be shocked by how fast you can run one once you've, you've trained on it a little bit. Yeah. And then what's funny is you mentioned uh, <clears throat> that Tika, that hunting rifle, because uh, something Braxton mentioned, um, something looking to look into uh, to getting. And uh, man, it's just so, it's this state it's just fucking there's nothing man it's just not like everything i've seen i'd have to like at the minimum drive to arizona right right Which, don't whoever's listening to this in the state of california who is sending this to governor newsom i'm not going to bring anything into your state relax i would buy it and leave in arizona obviously yeah, i'm gonna get it and it's i'm gonna leave it deposit box in arizona yeah and then yeah. i'm going to make sure i have at least i don't know 100 gallons of fuel <laughs> so <I> can, <laughs> <laughs> drive down there and retrieve it before someone in their group goes and opens up my random supplies security deposit box and fetches right. all my rifles. Right. Yeah. So that's where we're at on that thing, man. Let me, let me, uh, the, okay. The other thing real quick to tie into your book, um, you mentioned this and I, I thought this was a really good thing because you, you're talking about surviving it in a, essentially an urban environment and you talk about building your network, right? Building a, yeah. a, a list of, uh, or just building a group of people that you can trust, you know, regardless of whatever 
uh, you know, aligns you just having a, that network as you describe it. And you, you describe, you know, Hey, the, the, the one way to go do this is you got to go talk to people. Yeah. And I think most people, um, and I think even us at, at, at this age, I think us, since we're similar age, I think even us, we're starting to suffer from this, but most of the younger generation for sure is they don't want to talk to people. They'd rather text them. Right. Right. And right. That's, that's a hard issue, especially when I think you describe it in there. If you didn't, it's pretty obvious. Hey, what happens when the fucking power goes out and you can't charge your phones or the network's right. down? You know, that's going to happen. Right. And you have, uh, we have we're raising this generation with no social skills. Well, and, you know, for the survival thing, too, uh, you know, what if my network was uh, you and uh, well, I can't be bragging because he's actually right next door. Yeah, but, but uh, say you you, gotta, at least you got yeah. him there. You got you guys right. are the best but, state to be in at this point. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, like you and three other dudes that, you know, you, are we really going to help each other in a crisis? You're like 19 hours away by car. Right. You know, right. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't work that way. And uh, that's the, you know, that's the biggest problem with like, you know, internet boys and shit is like, it's not, it's not going to help you in the immediate crisis. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that was the number, I mean, that was actually the number one fallacy I wanted to dispel is that, you know, you're just going to Rambo through this shit and do it all yourself. Like, I mean, literally my fucking resume says I am Rambo and I'm not going to fucking <laughs> it by myself. You know, it just, it does, it's a fucking action movie, dude. It does, it, yeah. real life doesn't work that way. Like not even a little bit. Uh, I mean, even amongst like SF guys and shit, you know, we say that we become more dangerous exponentially the more of us that there are. You know, one guy might have some good training and might be able to whiz bang it, but yeah, there's a limit to that. Two, yeah. oh fuck, man. Uh, three, four, like, oh fuck, now, now we can do some shit. Yeah. yeah. And that's exactly how everybody else should be thinking too. Like, you just, you can't, man. You can't watch your back all the time. You got to sleep sometime. There's shit that you don't know how to do. There's shit that I don't know how to do. You need all the brains you can get. Uh, you need other people that have that can think about shit, that have skills, that have supplies. So yeah, I mean, you're gonna have to like really like meet fucking people. And if you live in an urban, people live in your building that maybe you don't even like them. Uh, maybe you have like completely opposed ideologies and shit, but you can still band together for common defense. Like, hey, yeah. if they try to burn the fucking building down, let's you and me not let them. Right. <laughs> and that's what I wanted to hit you, hit you on because uh, not hit you on it, but just kind of get your, your take on it. You say you, you wrote about in the book, like avoiding high paced or high traffic environments in terms of, you know, getting, I don't know if it was a source you're trying to get or just, uh, just someone yeah. who can work with you. So yeah, yeah. avoid the Starbucks because they're, they're high traffic. So, right. but so for a city um, I get, you know, that's a great point that you brought up your neighbor, someone you hang out with at the pool or you see at the pool, maybe you don't like them, but you talk to them. Yeah. Those are people. Right. But what does someone do in a a major city like that, where most of the areas they're around on a daily basis are nothing but high traffic. They're on a train. They're, they're, they're standing, you know what I mean? like, so where would you suggest they start this process? Well, there's always a time when things slow down. Uh, but it could be, you know, Uber. You take an Uber everywhere? Like you yeah, talk about that, just go. like you do a cab driver, man. I mean, that's a yeah. good resource to have. Yeah. Um, Very good. Yeah. Some of the other stuff, like I bring up there, like, you know, you do UPS driver as a, as a fantastic resource. It's yeah. a little bit harder to get in a place. Yeah. Cause, like, you know, if you're in downtown Los Angeles, like the UPS driver's not stopping for shit. He's like throwing the thing off the truck <laughs> by 10 miles an hour. I get it. Especially now. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Yeah. Especially <laughs> holiday coming up, too. Like, yeah. this is not the time to be trying to recruit the FedEx guy either. <laughs> uh, you know, January, it'll be fine. Now, not so much. But, you know, the biggest reason that was in there is that you just have to think about it. And it's so situation unique that 
you just have to look for for somewhere that's going to work out for you. Uh, you know, that's also one of the reasons I brought up, like, uh, you know, dudes like your brother's gym, that'd be a perfect bunch of people to, do oh, that, yeah. Yeah. to grab. Yeah. And they probably have some downtime at the end of that, too, when they're all, you know, fucking tired and fucking <clears> sitting around <throat> hanging out, waiting to be unsweaty enough to get back in a fucking car. Uh, but you just have to, you just have to find a way to do it, man, and uh, look for the places where, where life does slow down. Yeah, and that's kind of, I think you brought up a good point there because, uh, like, I'm a CrossFit nerd, right? I've been doing this shit forever, but uh, that's where I've met most of my, that's where I, no, that's not where I've met, that's where I've met every one of my friends in this state of California since I've moved out here four years ago has come from a CrossFit gym. Uh, but I think that's what you talk about, though. Like, there's that downtime or there's the, the downtime either before or after the workout. But I think that's what the best part about CrossFit and not any other gym. I'm not talking about like a martial arts gym, but any yeah. a conventional gym, conventional gym. I did that shit for years. You go to the gym. Everyone's got their fucking headphones on. Nobody talks to each other. Mm-hmm. CrossFit gym, MMA gym or any type of martial arts gym. You got you, you have to. You have to communicate. You have to talk to each other and you right. do, you get to learn and you, you learn about each other and you learn what people's backgrounds are. And that's, what's been the coolest thing about uh, me with CrossFit is man. I, like I said, every one of my friends out here and some of my best friends back in Florida are from that. And yeah. every one of their backgrounds is completely different from mine. Like these are people right. I would never interact or cross with if I didn't go to that gym and work out at that hour. hundred percent dude. Right. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. That's fucking yeah. totally right. Just, and yeah, it's, it's one of the greatest things about being in the cult of CrossFit, dude. You guys all drink yeah. too late together. And, and we're going to talk about, so what are, you, what are you doing tomorrow? You want, you want to come to my gym, bro? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> you want to drop in? Yeah. But you know what? It's actually crazy that you mentioned that because I, I it's in uh, it, it's a gym in the Bay area and you know, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just the CrossFit thing in general, because I know it there, there are plenty of, you know, you know, the, the different oppositions of the, the political spectrum for me, but for whatever reason, even though, and I don't know if it ties back into what you're saying, like, cause I've picked up on some of them that are definitely a little left leaning just from growing up yeah. probably, but every one of these fuckers owns guns. Yep. <laughs> like that's what's and that's what i was that's kind of before i i i eventually i'm gonna get you out of here in a little bit man but I, I keep forgetting to ask but now i want to ask it that 25 to 50 million new gun owners is there any way to tie like where you think like where they're at on the spectrum like do, is it more of a conservative no, thing is it more of a liberal thing is it very evenly distributed or what it's all over the fucking map <clears throat> in fact i would say most of probably most of the new ones are on the left side but they're not like the crazy out in the streets anti they were more like the center yeah. left okay yeah, yeah. Sudden, yeah. those are fine those are still that i think that's the average american still like in right me too right? but like a year ago they were like oh guns are bad we should ban those except for you know hunting rifles and you know grandpa can still have that and then <laughs> the fucking yeah, take cats are rifle, talking, they're like i want an m60 i want a fucking mortar i want you know <laughs> and they find out you can't that's been the funniest part is uh knowing a bunch of people that work at gun stores all these people on the left finding out that they can't walk into a store and buy a gun and yeah, blows their yeah, mind. Yeah. It's like, Hey fucker, <laughs> you voted for this shit. Like I can't, yeah. cause I've got a concealed carry license. I live in a free state, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, not so much. Yeah. That, that, that girl I brought up earlier, uh, she sent that message earlier today saying she was after she was going to get that one of the guns that they suggested after all 10 day wait period. Yeah. Yeah. And- Turns out you cannot order it on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> Can I go to Amazon.com and have a firearm delivered to your house? How great would that be? Like a drone delivers a firearm like awesome. right at your front door. Like totally sweet. Come That'd on, be a free Bezos. Right Where now. are you? Elon Musk, SpaceX, make this happen. <laughs> no worrying about landing on Mars. Deliver us guns to our door. God. 
Speaking of great things like Amazon, here's my thing, man. Like I just saw like this one dude, he's, he's like a Berkeley professor and he was bitching about Jeff Bezos and Amazon's customer service and all. And he, he, he made up this story about how he ordered something for his wife and it never showed up and he couldn't get any response or refund. And I was like, that's bullshit because I've, I've done Amazon's customer service real quick, but over the weekend, I had an opportunity to put this back into practice uh, I ordered two things. One of them happened to be my girl got me some uh, some Apple AirPods, right? Those little nice, little nice. yep. They, they were supposedly in a package that came with two things in it. I got the first thing. I may or may not have got the pods and may have thrown the box away. Ooh. So Amazon's customer service. I don't know if you've ever used it. It's literally yeah. okay. It's all like pre-scripted responses. And it took four clicks to get a new pair of AirPods that weren't charged to me, sent to me. I have them now. Four clicks. Didn't arrive. Yes, I want a replacement. No, I don't want a report. Thank you. Yeah. It's and then totally weird. like this dude over in fucking Berkeley has got his 180,000 followers pretending like, you know, Amazon's this evil corporation that just steals your money. And I'm like, actually, their customer service is pretty fucking legendary. Here, let me yeah. prove it again. And right. I, if this was the one time I was like, man, it's AirPods. That's like 150. They're not going to give me that. They're going to yeah, make no. Now he's just like, no, no, here you go. Here's some yeah. more. Two days later, they were back. Exactly. I need that with a fucking AR-15. Right. <laughs> My AR-15 did not arrive. <laughs> <laughs> had this bullet button, a weird stock on it. Yeah. I wanted to get... I need another one. And yeah, that thousand rounds I ordered didn't get here either. I don't know why. Oh, no problem. We'll ship another thousand. That's what I'm really hoping. Honestly, I'm making jokes of it, but I'm hoping something with the supply chain that Amazon possesses can get into this industry. And I don't know if you th agree or disagree, but imagine what those fuckers could do with their resources Oh, man. market the shit that you described. Like there's a, there's a company making 6 million rounds a day. That's clearly not enough. Let's make six billion rounds a day. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and environmentally friendly rounds too. Like no Fuck more. It, why not? Like, yeah. Let's let's something. I just that's what I that's what I want. That's what I want. Amazon and the Elon Musk of the world. We don't need to go to Mars. We need to fix the fucking ammunition and gun shortage in this country. <laughs> Focus. Don't on tell the Elon Musk that, dude. He'll he'll make a fucking plasma rifle or some shit. Like it doesn't need bullets. Like God damn it. You might be right, dude. I just finally wrote, like so. My buddy's got a Tesla at the office, and I've never been in it. But we went and Ubered to this holiday or Halloween party on Friday, and it was a, a Tesla driver. And I, the irony of that, I was just like, really, right, whatever. <laughs> Now, to be fair, he said he lost his job because his where he was working burned down in the fires out here in Napa. So I am sensitive to that, but I just thought that was ironic. Like, all right, I'm taking an, a, a Tesla to this Halloween party. But yeah, I'm just like, the dude steps on the gas and we're going 60 in like a second. I'm like, this, we need to focus, use this, this ingenuity and intuition to fix that problem. I want a Tesla gun. That's what I want. A Tesla <laughs> rifle. I want Tesla rounds because they're doing something right. Now, I don't know what happens when the power goes out because you can't charge that shit anymore. But <laughs> I even it's asked him that. He's like, oh, I might use my dad's generator. And then that's funny. I'd have to get gas to charge electricity. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what you'd have to do. It's a fucking battery. It's like an adult. It's a golf cart. No shit. But they <laughs> do haul ass. They do haul yeah. ass, though. They do. No, they're fast as shit and they're super nice. And the back seat was amazing. So, the, so there's that. Let me, let me see if there's anything I didn't touch on with you, Clay, because uh, I do appreciate you. Yes. All right. We've touched on everything. I appreciate you spending your time with me again. This is Clay Martin. He's written this book. 
The Concrete Jungle, a Green Beret's Guide to Urban Survivor. He's got Prairie Fire out now that you can go order. But before we get out of here, I, I said this before we started recording, man. It, it, in 24 hours, where are we sitting? Who's winning? Who's, who's taking to the streets? What do you think? What do you think happens? Ooh. Oh, man. I think this is going to be fucking terrible. I think Trump <laughs> wins tomorrow night in a landslide. Oh, Bi- Biden wins Friday night in a landslide of newfound <laughs> votes. Monday morning, Civil War starts. Damn, that is not how I want this to go. Me neither, but I, I call him like I see him. Yeah, uh, I'm going to hold off because uh, I'm going to definitely, I don't know what I'm going to drink tomorrow night. Probably going to be a lot of it, <laughs> but I'm going to be in this chair observing around this time. So funny story, if you don't know, I don't know how your 2016 was spent. Uh, I moved out here October 11th of 2016 to the state. Oh, no fucking way. So I didn't know anybody. I didn't know shit. I was still trying to figure out where I was. So there's Thunder Valley Casino in uh, Placer County in Lincoln, California. Lincoln, California. Great place. Look it up. Gun stores everywhere. Uh, So I was like, election night. I don't know what I'm going to do. Lincoln, uh, you know, Thunder Valley Casino was five minutes down the road. I'll go there. I went, I went to the bar, you know, I'm drinking my $4 beer. I'm like, this is amazing. And all of a sudden I'm just watching this election coverage in a casino. And all of a sudden shit started to get real. Like <laughs> they, they started calling, you know, the Midwest States and everybody just stops gambling. Like this is a real, it was actually a really nice casino. It's pretty big too. It's fairly, it, it, and everyone just starts like gathering and coalescing around this center bar. And I'm just sitting there like, <laughs> this is great i'm about to watch this meltdown and sure enough man once 9 p.m hit and they started calling things and i'm just like here we go and that turned into one of the most memorable nights of my life mainly because of everything i witnessed around me <laughs> i have not seen that many adults cry since 9 11 dude like it was oh, that's, that's insane <laughs> I'm, it was bad oh God, and i'm just terrible. sitting there at the bar like loving it i'm not saying shit nobody knows who i am i'm not going to draw attention to myself right you know right Uh, that was not the place to build a network no (laughs) no (laughs) but yeah so i don't know i i honestly i I mean to to get to wrap this up and get us out of here i i i i think unfortunately i've said this multiple times before i'll say it again i i think whatever happens i think the reaction will be the same one way or the other yeah unfortunately i think you're right this time like i I don't I don't think this is going to go good. I think things are, uh, things are, things are about to be real poopy. But if you're listening to this and you want to get on the goon zoom on Wednesday, we're going to have a little sounding board for you. Cause I'm sure people are going to want to speak one way or the other. So hell yeah. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. But Clay, you got to join us one of those nights, man. That'd be yeah. Hell yeah, man. Know, man. Uh, but anyway, I do appreciate you stopping in and uh, spending your night with me. Uh, at least you're on this side of the, of the, the country. I haven't kept you up too late. Seven forty. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, it was amazing. You were on the East Coast. I was here like three hours early, like, <laughs> like a dumbass. Like, okay. See, I wasn't going to say that, but hey, keep in mind. Remember, <laughs> Green Berets are the, the 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 real best and brightest of us. And uh, it wasn't given to me in Zulu time. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> so please, uh, if you're watching this and you made it to this point, even if you haven't, and you go eventually get to this point, go buy Clay's books multiple to plural clay martin on amazon do you have a website that you sell these on or just nope, just on, purely on amazon purely on amazon and then uh you do write for some gun stuff is there is yep. any of that yeah, right after gunsamerica.com i do gun reviews every week yep he just did one for some crazy looking 22 that looks like a fucking 50 cal or some shit that's pretty <laughs> Brigera 14r it's a hell of a way to kill a fucking rat 
Hell yeah. <laughs> Take on the prone. Shoot that fucking rat. Wait for him to show himself. Looks good, though. But again, Clay Martin, everyone. Again, remember, uh, please like and subscribe. There will be bourbon. We'll see you on Wednesday. No- Actually, we won't because we don't record this. But we will see you Thursday night for There Will Be Banter, Episode 9. The retired CIA spook Ron Moeller rejoins or returns nice. shooting pheasants, peasants, whatever he was doing up there. And Probably both, actually. Yeah, I probably, know that. yeah, that's what I said. Yeah. He probably was doing both. But So we'll see you then on Thursday. But again, thanks to Clay. And uh, we'll see you then. Airborne, first to go, last to know.